So before we start this episode, we've got some very tragic news that uh, I'm sure you've heard about, but we just wanted to give our respects to and uh, comment about a little bit as well, which is that unfortunately, uh, back in on April 30th, Peter Mayhew uh, passed away at the age of 74. Um, I'm, I'm sure everybody knows Peter Mayhew, you know, the, he was the actor for Chewbacca. He did all the stuff for him in the original trilogy. Um, from what we've heard, he passed away from uh, heart condition. Um, but on on the bright side, he was with uh, his family, uh, and it sounds like he was pretty comfortable when he passed away. Uh, as well, there they also mention in uh, the eulogy and a few other things. The, the that uh, he established the Peter Mayhew Foundation, which is a foundation that supports everything from individuals and families in crisis situations to food and supplies for children in Venezuela uh, recently. So, yeah, you know, super, super unfortunate. But um, at least he, he uh, passed away with his loved ones around him. Um, I don't know if, if you guys have anything to add for that, but... Uh... Yeah, it, it just came as a shock to me. I, I wasn't expecting. He's he, from what I'd seen from him, he'd been doing enough appearances and stuff that I thought he was still fairly healthy. But right, yeah, really unfortunate news. I know. Um, actually, reading through uh, like internet articles and stuff, uh, just after he passed away, he was supposed to make an appearance over at another convention, and mm -hmm. uh, the spot where he was supposed to do signings and, and meet and greets with with fans and stuff like that. What they did is they still had the table set up for him and then fans brought in flowers and stuff as like a memorial for Peter Mayhew and kind of all the things that they did that he did for them as uh, as a celebrity and as someone that as they looked up to. Um, they figured that they would mm -hmm. kind of create a memorial for him at this convention, which is really nice and touching. Um, but yeah, just just like you, I definitely got, was caught off guard with this because um, I know I've, I've heard that Peter Mayhew was going through for surgery a little while back and he came out of yeah. it and he was um, having a good recovery. So I was expecting him to kind of make that full recovery and whatnot, which I'm, I believe he did just a matter of um, his heart condition, which is too bad. Um, I did mm -hmm. have the pleasure of meeting Peter Mayhew over at uh, star Wars celebration, uh, Florida, I believe. And uh, that was uh, a very nice interaction with Peter Mayhew. It was the first time I ever got to meet the guy. I remember when I went to go shake his hand and, and say hi for the first time, I didn't realize how tall he was until, uh, and how big his hands were until I shook his hand. Man, his hands engulfed my forearm. Um, he was a big man and a really <laughs> nice person when I was talking to him, very gentle. And the way he spoke and the way he just kind of held himself and, and interacted with fans. So it was nice to meet Peter Mayhew. And uh, Peter, you will be missed. Ed, do you want to say anything? <clears throat> When news kind of came out for it, I could have sworn he was supposed to show up to uh, celebration, but he couldn't make it because there was something he was going through. But I could be mistaken on that. Yeah, I'm not too sure. Um, but either way, I was just like, Mayhew, Mayhew. I was one of the people who was just like, now the name sounds familiar, but I can't put it towards the... Oh, that sort of look. And then... I I was sad, but more so that what got me was thinking back to an old Legends book, and it was when um, Chewie is I think it was on Kashyyyk, and it was during the Vong War, just before it, 
and it was just he was just getting torn apart. And it was him and Anakin still in there, and only one of them could get away. So he picks up Anakin and puts him like on the ship, on the Falcon. And it's like, all right, you go. And he's got his arms like up in defiance as the whole place is exploding. Oh kind of thing. yeah, that's how Chewie goes in the books, yeah. right? And I'm just imagining it's like, well, if Pete has to go out one way, like that's the way I want to like imagine him going, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I gotta say, Peter Mayhew did a fantastic job as Chewbacca, and he got to mentor the new guy, uh, Junis Suotomo, uh, who plays Chewbacca in the new sequel trilogy and Rogue One and all that. Oh, nice. Rogue One? He wasn't in Rogue One. Um, Just a sequel trilogy. Solo. 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 That's Solo. what I'm thinking. He is doing a good job, though. Oh, he's doing a fantastic job. I, I can mm-hmm. You can't even tell that it's a different actor. Um, he's doing such a good job, and he definitely thanked Peter Mayhew for everything he's done and mentorship he had so it's nice to see that the community is kind of doing something uh and remembering peter mayhew and uh, the last thing i wanted to say was uh the opening of galaxy's edge was just recently and uh during that opening ceremony there was uh george lucas mark hamill billy d williams and uh harrison ford and when the park was opening uh harrison ford christened the falcon and said this one's for you peter and then fireworks kind of exploded everywhere and there's a nice kind of a little send-off for for peter i guess yeah it's it's, it's quite a touching moment um and you know it, it's a nice way to honor his legacy uh we'll have a, a quick moment of silence to uh honor peter mayhew and then we'll return to our regularly scheduled programming Welcome to the Voice of the Force podcast, Temple Archives, Episode 7. This one's for you, Peter. My name is Noma, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Dan. Hey! And Ed. Ew. So, if you haven't uh, listened to this podcast before, let me give you a quick summary of what we do. Uh, We here are all about Star Wars canon, so we try to kind of summarize the story for you guys. We will tell you how it relates to Legends and Canon material. We'll have a quick discussion about the material we're going over, and we'll also try to tell you where it fits into the timeline. Uh, So before we get into the books real quick, if you're interested in talking to us, uh, you can shoot us an email at voiceoftheforce at gmail.com. We've also got our Twitter, at voiceforcepod. Uh, we've got our Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash voiceforcepod. And uh, we are also on a variety of podcasts, which include Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, and Pocket Casts. Uh, remember to listen to the outro to find out what we'll be covering on the next episode. And lastly, we have a uh, short public uh, public Star Wars announcement for you guys, which is the fact that all of the material we're going over today is definitely going to have spoilers in it. Uh, you know, we're going to be summarizing it mostly for the people who either weren't really interested in reading the books 
or people who have read them a long time ago and kind of forgotten the details. But we here at Voice of the Forest definitely support the official release, and we encourage all of you guys to as well. Uh, there's a whole lot of ways to get them, you know, physical, digital, whether that's ebook or audiobook. And supporting the official release is important because, uh, you know, th these are the kind of thing where you got to speak with your wallet. And if we're not supporting new Star Wars material, then Disney's going to think that there's not much of a reason to continue producing it. So, you know, go out there, uh, give it a listen. And if you're not interested, that is ex exactly what we're here for. But if you are, we definitely recommend reading or listening to these books. And with that said, let's get started. Moving Target. The authors are Cecil Castellucci and Jason Fry, and the cover artist is Phil Noto. Uh, the cover art for the story is uh, Princess Leia holding a blaster in front of Nian Nub. And behind her, there are some interesting graphics with a ship, which I believe is featured heavily in the book, as well as a Rebel Alliance symbol and a moon behind it. So uh, it's got a really nice composition and it's got a very interesting, striking visual design where it's all in gray tone except for the red which is picked out in the Rebel Alliance symbol and Neon Nub's uniform. I really did enjoy that. Like it, the the three novels that we're covering for this one, they really do have a very similar look to them. But Phil Noto did do the art for all of them. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the 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 gray tone mixed like the the monochromatic kind of thing, um, mm. really looks good with the the splash of that one color. Oh yeah, it really helps it stand out. All right, and with that done, let's move on to the synopsis. Opening Crawl One rebel task force protects Princess Leia, bearing her in secrecy from star to star. As the last survivor of Alderaan's House of Organa, Leia is a symbol of freedom, hunted by the Empire she has opposed for so long. The struggle against Imperial tyranny has claimed many rebel lives. As the Empire closes in, Leia resolves to make a sacrifice of her own, lest the cause of freedom be extinguished from the galaxy. The story begins shortly before The Force Awakens, with General Leia Organa reluctantly recording her memoirs. She is reminded of a particular mission she participated in the time between the Empire and the Rebellion. As she tells her story, we go back to that time. We find Leia on her flagship, a Nebulon B frigate named the Remembrance. It is under attack by Imperial forces. The ship escapes the battle at the cost of one of their escorts, their main goal of this small flotilla is to protect Leia, as she is a high-priority target for the Empire. The best way to keep her safe is to keep moving. The fact that people die just to keep her safe bothers Leia very much. In the wake of the battle, C-3PO informs Leia that Mon Mothma has ordered a gathering of the rebel leadership on the planet Zastiga. They recruit Nian Nub and his ship, the Melcrawler, to ferry her to the meeting. Arriving on the planet... She attends the meeting, only to find out that the Empire is building another Death Star above Endor. In an effort to come up with a plan, the meeting goes late into the night, the results of which is the basic attack plan for the Battle of Endor. They decide the Rebel fleet will mass near Sullust to take advantage of a secret Imperial hyperspace lane, which will get them to the Outer Rim much faster than otherwise possible. 
Leia suggests an additional aspect to the mission. In an effort to distract the Empire from the massing rebel fleet, Leia will take a small team to various planets and lay message beacons summoning rebel ships to rendezvous at Yellow Moon in the Corva system, far from Endor. Mon Mothma is uneasy, but says she'll think on it. Later that night, Mon Mothma visits Leia. After a deep discussion about Leia's motivations and state of mind, the mission, codenamed Operation Yellow Moon, is approved. The next day, the rebels quietly leave the planet. Leia meets her crew at the Melcrawler. In addition to Nian as the pilot, she has recruited Kiti Aleri as Comtech, Antrot the Tinkerer as their engineer, and Commando Major Lakmara as personal protection for Leia. She explains their mission, leaving out the detail that the codes used to encrypt the beacon messages have, been, have already been broken by the Empire. Their first stop is the planet Bastille. They meet their contact, a man named Yoff, in his underground home. He informs them that the best place to set their beacon is through a complex network of tunnels connecting to his chimney. They climb into the tunnel system and plant the beacon near the surface. After a harrowing climb, an encounter with hostile creatures, and a close call with some patrolling ties, they escape on the Melcrawler. As things settle, Kiti comes to the realization that the codes they've been using have been cracked by the Empire. The crew discovers a Star Destroyer is now in orbit above Bastille and is subjugating the planet. Though this is the point of their mission, Leia feels immense guilt. Their next stop is Cessid, a water world. After buying awful vacation clothes, they rent a boat and plant their beacon on the slopes of a volcano. On the way back, their boat is chased by Imperials. They are rescued by a local pirate band who proved to be their contacts on the planet. Once again successful, Cessid soon suffers at the hand of the Star Destroyer Shield Maiden. The crew makes their way to the primitive agricultural planet of Jaresh and sets another beacon. They learn the local population is going to publicly denounce the Empire. Leia tries but fails to convince their leaders against this. Her uneasiness is finally too much to bear, and she reveals the true nature of their mission to her crew. She devises a plan to defend the local populace, and they manage to fight off the Empire. Leia knows they will return, but the locals are comfortable with their choice. According to the plan, their mission is now complete. However, Leia cannot live with abandoning any rebel ships who responded to their beacons. She decides they will go to Yellow Moon and warn anyone who shows up. They are successful, but are captured by the Shield Maiden. The crew is imprisoned and prepared for interrogation. Lakmara sacrifices himself, allowing Leia and the others to escape. They make their way to the landing bay. Before the rendezvous, Leia had ordered Antrot to rig the Mel Crawler to explode. He realizes that the bomb will not cause enough damage to disable the Star Destroyer's hangar bay shields, so he runs off, sacrificing himself to save the other three. Leia, Nien, Kiti steal the Imperial Shuttle Tiderium and escape amidst the space battle. Rebel ships that have rendezvoused at Yellow Moon are attacking the Shield Maiden in an effort to defend Leia. She is able to flee, but at the cost of more life. Leia contacts Luke. New intel on Han has been discovered and he is on Tatooine. With this knowledge, they begin to organize a rescue. Back in the present, Leia closes out her story. Major Emat lets her know that news has come in from Poe Dameron on Jakku. And that was Moving Target. So, what did you guys think of this one? Uh, 
just I struggle reading Leia things most of the time because I st- I get really irritated with things that go on where I I see force to be used and there's always the diplomatic way. Mm-hmm. But um, I mean, she is a politician. I know, I okay. know, and that's why. <laughs> <laughs> but there's there's several characters that do that for me, and it's, unfortunately, a lot of them are in this one. So it took me mm-hmm. quite a while to get through it. Um, I'm glad, Noma, that I didn't see that photo until after it was done. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. it just would have made Kitty the, even worse. I love Kitty. I just wanted to know. And then I saw the picture of Kitty. And then I was like, oh my mm-hmm. god. But for example... Not that I'm saying like, that yeah. looks are everything, but it just, it, it just <laughs> looks interesting Like having that species have that much hair. When you yeah, when you imagine a human person and then you take that human person but stretch their forehead out by like a foot and a half. Have you ever seen the movie Coneheads? It's pretty much that. It's basically someone put a wig on a conehead. Yeah. Yeah, like, that's exactly what it is. It reminded me of like if you're living in like a Jetsons kind of world or something like that. Yeah, I can see that too. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah that sort of thing. I yeah, did what, like what, how they what, had her as a slicer though. That was the one thing I was like, yes, we need a slicer. That's awesome. Was she the was she the slicer or the comms expert? She she was a slicer. She had all like the codes and stuff like that, and yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, the one thing that really kind of turned me around on this one, where I just like was begrudgingly reading it, was when like Mon Mothma meets up with Leia, and she's like, "Oh, I have a job for you." And I was like, "Are you finally getting into some violence? <laughs> Are you finally doing some like dark world stuff?" Yeah. Yeah. No, just go plant these beacons all over so we can just get to the same. I was like, oh my. This, is, this takes place just before episode six, doesn't it? Mm, pretty much. Because, well, how does it end, Noma? Oh, yeah, because it ends with them um, finding out what Han's location was. And that was one thing that I kind of, I called it before it happened, where they're in the shuttle bay and they're taking an Imperial shuttle and they're leaving. And I was like, is it the Tidarium? I bet and it's it was the Tidarium. Yeah. It was the Tidarium. I was like, oh. Yes. <laughs> that you should think that after they found it the first time, they just be like, okay, that's not a good shuttle. We should just strike that one off the list. Yeah. And right. it, you're marked. No, no, we'll take shuttle Tidarium back off. It's like, come on. Well, Tidarium, yeah, oh. Tidarium is the one they use in episode six. Yeah. Yeah. But, but it's it's one of those, like, I, I, I agree with Ed because it's one of those things where it's like, I always assume they just stole the Tidarium and then immediately use it in that mission, right? So yeah, like they, so it's like barely... you can get away with it for five. Oh, minutes. I see. Yeah. Just kind of like Rogue One, where they stole the shuttle. Yeah, because in this one, it changes episode six to now be like, oh, shuttle Tidarium is asking for clearance. Really? Like, what's it part of? Oh, it's part of the Shield Maiden. What happened to the Shield Maiden? It blew up on the other side of the galaxy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, like, then for some it's... reason it's here. Let's let them yeah, go. But Vader's like, that makes it a lot. They were gonna blow them out of the sky, and then Vader's like, no, let them land. No, no, uh, they were gonna. Um, from what I remember from episode six, Piet says the codes are outdated. And then he's like, oh, they're outdated, but I was going to let them down. Should I stop them? And Vader's like, no, 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 let them land. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. yeah and, I then, and then Luke's like, oh, Vader's on, on that Star Destroyer. I shouldn't be here. Yeah. Um, uh, I thought that it was nice to have Neon Nub in this as yeah, a pilot. Because Neon Nub's the best. And the <laughs> way that they said is Neon Numba, which is that right? I don't know. <laughs> If, if it you is, say it like that, I've been saying it wrong my entire like, life. <laughs> do you remember those kids that were in, um, like, number one, number two, number three, number four, number five, some cartoon, 
way back in the day. Oh, uh, Codename Kids Next Door? Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, <laughs> if you say, like, their number, all I see is number, number one. one. <laughs> number two. <laughs> number three. That's good. That's Why a good callback. That's what I never understood. What Was <laughs> one of them British? Yeah, they're in America, right? I, I mean, I, I there are British people were. in America. That's true. It was just very strange it to is. me. Like, yeah. All right. But, um, so yeah, I gangsters. mean, the only other thing, like, about this book is that I I understand that it's like a it's like a kids book, so you can't get into the, the some of the topics. But I thought there was a really interesting gray zone that they kind of go over, where it's like, hey, we need you to go, to go on a mission that's basically just fool a bunch of our allies into killing themselves, so that we can get this attack underway. And I was like, wow, that's super dark. Yeah, that's that a doesn't sound like something. Yeah, I was like, that doesn't sound, that sounds like something that you'd be like, well, I guess you can't, but. You'd be like, "Hey, Cassian, we got a mission for you." Yeah, exactly. That's it's like a Rogue One gray. sequence. And like, yeah, yeah. And I, you I mean you can't use Cassian because he's kind of he, he came down with a bad case of dead. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it seemed like a mission that they would not give to Leia. They give it to a more Cassian kind of guy. Yeah. Um, I think Leia went on this herself, didn't she? Yeah, like she wanted to, and so I guess that 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 makes a bit more of a difference. But I'm like, wow, this is a really dark mission for someone like you to to go on. Yeah. Um, the thing too is, um, I really enjoyed the part at the beginning and the end, where it was like it was older Leia, and she's like not wanting to do her memoirs with the droid, and the droid's just like, but we need to because what yeah. if you die? And she's like, <laughs> loyalty, or what was it? Is it loyalty or what was it? What was the duty? Theme? Duty, yeah. Duty, I have a story about duty, and then it goes into this story. And at the end, uh, it was it ends with her talking about like having a mission for Poe, or he's coming back from the mission. Uh, they heard back from him on Jakku. Yeah, exactly. So there's that, which is kind of interesting tie-in. Like that's the only tie-in to uh, uh, Episode Seven. This is the Journey to the Force Awakens books. Mm-hmm. Um, so at the very end, you get a little bit of oh, Poe Dameron, he's uh, in uh, Jakku. He's a character. <laughs> yeah, he's a dude on a planet. Yeah. So, any other thoughts on this? Doesn't sound like mm-hmm. it. All right. Yeah. <clears throat> Let's get into our rating of Moving Target, a Princess Leia adventure. Guys, what do you think? Ed, start us off. This one, I got to give a six. Just didn't hold me to too many little things that bothered me and usually they don't but all these ones seem to stack up still got through it still would say you know what if you're reading either smugglers run or weapon of the jedi you gotta read this one too read them as a set really just to see like what everybody's doing after the second death star is destroyed yeah but Mm. it's just for the sake of continuation you really should read it don't give it too much hate like i'm being a little harsh on it but that's just it didn't it didn't sit well with me but these may be some of your favorite characters so it's definitely worth a shot Noma? that makes sense um <laughs> so i know ed said don't be harsh with it but um uh, my rating is actually a, a 5.5 um just because it, it's kind of the same things where it's like that tidarium thing was just bugging me during the entire end of the book or it's just like oh so much of this makes so little sense now so it's i, I i'm never a huge fan of when you add something in to be interesting but it ends up being a plot hole um fair enough the character the characters were all just kind of they were all okay i mean the end nub was definitely the best one out of them all um 
but there's not a lot of time to really develop them or see interesting things. I don't know. Overall, it, it was a very kind of, it was a decent story, but it was one that I've, I've kind of seen before. So I kind of knew what was happening and it, it wasn't very exciting to me, unfortunately. Nice. All right. Yeah, no, I, I put it as a five actually, even, even lower than you, Noma. Um, huh. I just think the story itself, like I could picture exactly where they were going in the tunnels and stuff like that when they're climbing up and the creatures are attacking them and, when they're on the top and they're all like freezing and stuff like that, I could I could picture that pretty well. So the writing mm. was actually not too bad, like of the description. The actual story elements, though, I, I agree with you guys that it's it's not the best story. But again, it's it's a young adult or like a like a not a young adult even. It's just like a kids kids book. Mm. Um, so I, I I would say as far as the story goes, it's nothing crucial to the story of Star Wars. And it didn't really give you a lot going up to The Force Awakens either. Um, and that's kind of why it was created, is to give you a little bit more information of something going up to the, uh, um, the journey of The Force Awakens stuff. But yeah, no, it just wasn't a home run book. Uh, it was more just a placeholder, I guess. Yeah, makes sense. On to our next novel, Smuggler's Run. The author is Greg Rupka. And the cover artist is Phil Noto. Uh, the cover itself is, again, it's very, it's, it's striking, just like Moving Target was. So we've got Han and Chewbacca on the front cover, with the Millennium Falcon behind it being pursued by Ties. Once again, the cover is grayscaled, except for uh, two red lines in the middle of the book, and one red line, or one large thick red line, that is uh, the Falcon's thruster wake. And again, it, it looks really nice. It's really striking. There's a lot of great contrast going on between Han's hair and vest and the reds and the grays and the piece going on. I think the one thing that really stands out to me now that I'm looking at this one is that the outlines are black. And then when it's on a dark surface, it's white. And it gives them mm. a really nice, like, thick comic book-like outline. Yeah, it's a very stark contrast, which is, uh, which is nice. It, it makes the image pop a lot more. All right, let's get into the synopsis. It is a period of civil war. The heroic freedom fighters of the Rebel Alliance have won their most important victory thus far with the destruction of the Empire's ultimate weapon, the Death Star. But the Rebellion has no time to savor its victory. The evil Galactic Empire has recognized the threat the Rebels pose and is now searching the galaxy for any and all information that will lead to the final destruction of the freedom fighters. For the Millennium Falcon's crew, who saved the life of Luke Skywalker during the Battle of Yavin. Their involvement with the Rebels is at an end. Now Han Solo and Chewbacca hope to take their reward and settle some old debts. The story begins before the Force Awakens, inside of a bar that is located in a ship. Three thugs sit around a table discussing the merits and most important aspects of starships. Between speed, maneuverability, and defenses, they finally settle on the fact that the perfect ship is the Millennium Falcon. An old man at the bar interrupts their tale and tells them that the Millennium Falcon is a good ship, but cannot be piloted properly unless the crew is also excellent. The man sits at their table and states that he will share a story of the Millennium Falcon in return for a drink. The thugs comply, and the man begins his story. Following the destruction of the Death Star at the Battle of Yavin, Han Solo and Chewbacca have taken their reward and mean to use it to pay off their debts. 
Leia approaches Han and Chewbacca and asks them to fly a secret mission for the Rebellion. They are to rescue Kaluan Imat from the planet Sirkon. Imat was a member of the Shrikes, a special recon unit of the Alliance to Restore the Republic, who was being hunted down by Alicia Beck, an Imperial ISB commander. After some hesitation and bickering, the two agreed to go on the mission. After landing on Sirkon, using an alias for the Falcon, Solo and Chewbacca are confronted by bounty hunters, after them for the reward Jabba has placed on them. Beck and her stormtroopers arrive on the scene, and Solo is able to convince her that the bounty hunters are the rebels she is searching for, allowing Solo and Chewbacca to escape. They arrive at a bar inside the Serendipity, a ship flown by pilot-slash-bartender Delia Layton. After talking with her, they are able to locate Emat at a hotel. After defeating the bounty hunters and learning their intentions, Beck is able to track down Emat as well by forcing Delia to reveal his location. Solo and Chewbacca are about to leave with Emat when the bounty hunters sh show up at the hotel. After managing to escape with some unnoticed help from an undercover stormtrooper, the trio is able to get to the Falcon's docking bay. Beck and her stormtroopers ambush Solo, Chewbacca, and Emat in the docking bay. After Solo creates a distraction and destroys the magnetic field above the ship, Delia provides cover fire from her own ship and the trio is able to escape. Avoiding TIE fighters and track beams, both ships manage to flee the system, leaving Beck frustrated and vowing to not let Emat escape her again. Returning to the present, the three thugs point out many oddities with the old man's story, such as the fact that there conveniently was a ship with a bar inside of it named the Serendipity, which is the same name of the ship whose bar they are inside of right now. The three realize that the old man is in fact Han Solo, and attempt to coerce him into giving them the Millennium Falcon. Solo reveals that he has been stalling for time, and that during his story, Chewbacca has been sneaking up behind the three thugs. Chewbacca beats the thugs into a bloody pulp, and as the two leave, it is revealed that Delia is indeed the bartender of this bar, and that the serendipity is still in operation. As Han and Chewie leave, the bouncer remarks that he never learned what happened to the ISB agent, Alicia Beck. Han smirks and says that that is a funny story, and that he'll tell it next time he comes to the serendipity. So that was Smuggler's Run. And uh, yeah, what did you guys think about it? Um, I really enjoyed Smuggler's Run. There was a lot of fun stuff in it. Uh, bounty Hunters, Han Solo, Chewbacca, the Millennium Falcon, uh, a bar owner that has a ship that's a bar, but also an Imperial with a, like an ocular implant that's like super crazy, like OP, being able mm -hmm. to read like body of heat signatures to tell if people are lying, stuff like that. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah, he just hacks all the rules at the point. It was, <laughs> yeah. it was great. I loved it. But there's actually a picture of uh, the character, the female character, the Imperial. I'm just sharing it to the guys right now. And she looks badass. Um, she's got like the white Imperial uniform. I'm not sure if it's just a color scheme or whatever. But it looks like her uniform is white. And the ocular implant just looks so intimidating. So she has to keep jabbing herself until it stops bleeding. Oh, or boy. Increasing. Yeah. Uh, that just sounded disgusting. Yeah. I did. I, I, I found it hilarious how they included a bounty hunter who's Kubaz. Um, 
I don't know if you guys remember that race. With their squeaky voices. And that was in episode four at the beginning, if you guys don't remember, for the listeners anyway. Um, the little like guy who informs the Imperials that uh, where the Millennium Falcon is and where yeah. the droids are going to be for the Imperials to go like shoot at them and try and take the Falcon and the mm-hmm. droids. Um, the guy that does that is a Kubaz. He's got like goggles on and like a really long snout, almost like a, like an elephant's trunk but mini yeah um and he just sounds like a yeah well, we just sounded like that <laughs> um yeah. and I, I found that it, it really kept me interested because you're just like what is han and chewie gonna do in this situation like how are they gonna deceive this person and they deceive her in the fight when they're like rebels are over there and it's the bounty hunters yeah. chasing them <laughs> it was so good um, they just started shooting no, yeah yeah help me and then he's, like, she, she's like good job citizen let me protect you yeah. but i need you to stay here and then he just like takes off no yeah. <laughs> but yeah right after it's like all right we just got away from the imperials i know it's part of the mission but hey the bar yeah yeah <laughs> and the bar itself having the serendipity which then turned into what was the name of it serendipity uh, was the original name and then i can't remember what it was first but it, yeah it was something for it was originally serendipity yeah delia changes the name to something and then it becomes the serendipity afterwards yes exactly um um and the, the fun part that I liked was that at the end of the book, or sorry, beginning of the book, you have three people, like three random denizens of this, you know, cantina are just talking about, oh, we need a ship for, you know, this whatever we're doing. Yeah. What do yeah, we need? Three. And like the, the three things that like it's good at, like speed, maneuverability and firepower, I guess. And old man mm-hmm. comes up. He's like, I know uh, one that would fit that criteria right there. And it's it's obviously Han Solo, but it, they talk to him yep. as an old man. And at the end, it kind of revisits that, and uh, it turns out they're in the Serendipity, and there's the bartender and the person who's a bodyguard that's all there. Mm-hmm. So it was pretty cool. I liked the the callback into the story and everything. It was it was a well crafted story, I thought, and it had a lot of elements that was like, oh, what's gonna happen next? I really liked this. Yeah, and I'll, I'll give uh, I'll give Mark Thompson some props too because he does a good non solo voice. Like it, oh, it's yes. yes, he does. Mark yes, Thompson, he does. he's got the it's, he's got the pipes. Yeah, like it, it leans a little bit into like cowboy, a little bit cowboy. Yeah. Um, like it kind of sounds like a John Wayne kind of thing, but um, but I yeah, I really like that one. And uh, with this book as well, there was there was one scene. There were two kind of little cliches, and one of them I didn't like, and one of them I really liked. Um, the one I didn't like is when Beckett's kind of interrogating Delia and her bodyguard for information. And man, Delia crumbles so fast, it's not even funny. Oh, like, yeah. She, she doesn't even last like 30 seconds under interrogation. There's like um, bounty hunters there, too. And, they, and the droid that's got like a bunch of weapons trained on her being like, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's, that's right. Five, four, your friend yeah. is going to die, and I will kill him. So yeah, that, that's right. It. I forgot. It's the, it's the bounty hunters, not Beck, who's yeah. interrogating them. And the bounty yeah, hunters are like, going to kill whoever they need to. I was going to mention need. that because that yeah. was that was a part where I was like, man, if anybody else was in those shoes, like as much as they were, it'd be hard. It it would not oh, be yeah. something like, oh yeah, if I was there, I would have said nothing. Like, nah, <laughs> somebody would probably be dead if you said yeah. Nothing. Exactly. Yeah, and, and that was the thing where it's like I I really didn't like how fast that she crumpled, but I can understand why. I think the real question here yeah. is if we were in her shoes and the other person with the gun to their head was one of us, would we would we crumple? Oh yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> Just making sure. Just making sure. No, that's what I'm saying. Like I, I, I'm sorry. Yeah. Don't kill yeah, like, him. 
That's what I'm saying. Like, I, I didn't like it, but I completely understand it. The scene I did like is when it turned out that the clone trooper, or that the, sorry, that the trooper sergeant is a clone. Yes. Um, that was cool. I was like, oh. That, so, yeah, that's cool. And then I liked how immediately because of that, Beck thinks more highly of him. Um, and then it turns out that he's the most competent person there because he, like, does the full undercover mission perfectly. Yeah, right he just, like, down, d- like ditches the Stormtrooper armor. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It was really good. Yes, uh, sorry, uh, Eddie, you were saying something as well? Yeah, no, you hit most of my points, and especially with the, the clone, like, you, you already know how attached to the Maya. Yep. Oh, yeah. But, um, <laughs> even with that, like, the fact that he was just, like, he was still questioning stuff between it anyway, and she made the remark that's, like, shouldn't he be like super old right now mm-hmm. and that's just like having like an old punisher on your team kind of be like yeah i know what i gotta do i think i mean stuff you can set me out on my own i think the one thing that we've kind of revisited here more than once now in the star wars canon rereads that we've been doing is that han solo in the debt that he has to jabba he's trying to get back there but he keeps on getting pulled away by people that he knows Mm. Like, I, we need your help for this, or I need you to come over here. I need you to do this. Some of it's Leia, some of it's <laughs> yeah. other people, right? And this is a prime example of, like, bounty hunters are after him, and he needs to pay Java, but he just can't get there to do it. Mm-hmm. You know? It hurts, because it's, like, after the whole, like, oh, here's your medal and everything else, it's, like, and my money. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's, like, I came here for one specific purpose. That's why, I like, in episode five, like I understood him completely. It's like, hey, we did the thing. Let's get out of here. Stay and help, dude. I gotta do a thing. I gotta yeah. go. <laughs> did you guys have a favorite favorite part of this book? <laughs> um, it. I would say it's a tie between the bar scene and Han just giving the Imperials a complete one eighty. Yeah. With the like, I laughed hard on the bus at that mm. point. And it was just like, oh my, there's, there's some, there's rebels over there. You gotta go get them. It's like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah. What are you playing the concerned citizen? Oh, it worked. <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably that part. That that was that was a, a great sight now. Just for yeah. All, you know, Although I and he, I, we're not following the canon or the legends, unfortunately, where he was in Imperial, like for a while. Oh yeah, that's true. So uh, Han. Yeah. Yeah, because he was he was Imperial Navy in Legends, not exactly. Imperial. Yeah, well, I guess he he isn't in, in actual canon now, but he was also Imperial Army. Yeah, uh, but he's in the pilot program. Yeah, and infantry. Huh? And infantry for a bit. Yeah, mud trooper. Yeah. <laughs> um, the other scene that I really liked was near the end when they were flying. Uh, they he was trying to save uh, Delia in space, mm. and they were being tractor beamed. So he told them to like go down towards the planet's gravity and uh they were racing down and they couldn't hit that tractor beam on them because if they did they'd pull like they would destroy the city because it would just be pulling everything together Mm -hmm. um which i thought was a really interesting idea which makes sense of his past as a navy personnel in in the imperial navy right because he would know the ins and outs of a tractor beam right um or pieces of it anyway Right, so protocol and stuff. He knows that they can't do that over a city. So get down there and do that, whether that be from his time in the navy or just from smuggling so much. But mm-hmm. and yeah, that that was something that that um, made me like Beck more because you know I was expecting when that happened, I was like, all right, we're gonna do the typical brutal imperial, like all right, it doesn't just matter about it. the city, yeah. catch him. But yeah, I like the fact that she's like, 
well, they're going to rebel if I do this. She's smart about it. Yeah, let's actually be smart. You win this time. And it's just like, oh, okay. I think we all can agree that if she makes a comeback somehow in some other book or comic, I think we'd be really happy. Oh, yeah, I think so. No, do you think she's going to get the phasma treatment? Uh, uh, no, I hope I not. Hope not. <laughs> no one deserves phasma treatment. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> not even phasma. <laughs> Are you guys ready to go over our ratings for Smuggler's Run, a Han Solo and Chewbacca adventure? Oh, yeah. Yeah. All right, Noma, you start us off. Yeah, I'm giving this one uh, a 6.5. Where oh. it was... <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, I wasn't expecting that much hey, hatred. Um... Ed, what, what's going on on your side there? I mean, no, no. It, it was... <laughs> All right, Noma, you go first, was... and then we'll talk about it. Okay, and then, yeah, you can critique me. Um, it was a fun story. It was really nice. Um, honestly, my only problems, the only reason it gets a 6.5 is the fact that it was so short. Oh, and I, okay. And I, yeah, and I know it has to be. I know it's a, you know, it's a kid's book, basically. You need to get right to the point. But I was just like, oh, there's so much stuff in here. But I just it want him to go. Yeah, like, and especially some of the things with the clone trooper, where it's like, there's one part that he just kind of glances over, and I was like, oh, I wanted to hear about that, where he's, um, two of the bounty hunters just had, like, Han, Han's like, oh, I managed to take two of the bounty hunters down. I'm, I'm awesome aim with this, like, while I'm steering a speeder at full speed. It turns out, no, the clone trooper actually took them out. Like, he was, like, black opsing them behind the scenes. I was like, oh, that's really cool. And he's like, yeah, no, I took them out. And I was like, no, 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 go. I, I want to, how did you do this? Stuff like that. Stuff with, like, I think Beck could have had a lot more time to grow as a character. Just be a really cool kind of, you know, key figure that could have actually shown up later on. Things like that, right? Um, I didn't know by the end of the book why I needed to care about Emat. Like he had all that info, sure, but he was. Oh my god! He was just a person. Yeah, <laughs> I think he had the very same voice as uh, Tem and Wexley. He had that little boy yeah, voice, so. and that's his like go-to little boy voice, Mark Thompson, I guess. And uh, I was like, oh, I'm picturing totally Tem and Wexley right now. Yeah, and, and it was just—it yeah. was just like he—he he needed some reason to care about him because it was also like. Oh, he showed up in uh, the Princess Leia story. I wonder what his backstory is. Oh, I get to learn about it. Oh, it's nothing. Yeah. <laughs> just stuff like that. So, yeah, not because I actually didn't like it, more because I actually just I wanted to know more. All yeah. right. Ed. Yeah, well. What's with the like reactions? Too, I feel like I'm being too <laughs> gracious now after that. Um, hey, because I, I, I do agree with that. I wish it was longer. I gave it a 7.5. Um, again, this might be more so because of bias more than anything, but being one of my favorites, I had to read this one first and I got everything that I wanted out of it, except that, yes, you're right. I, I realized I wanted way more, <laughs> but for what I did get, like, just like I'm saying, like favorite scenes for me for what was there, those were already fleshed out kind of to the point where it was like, all right. We have a bit of humor, and we have that, like, all right, let's get back to work. And then the the whole, like, oh, we we are a menacing force. Like, we're not just your weekend or your Saturday morning villain. You're mm -hmm. like, no, nah, we have actual, we will scare you. And we're, we're actually competent, and we will do things that are dark. Be ready for us. You're not, kind of thing. And to see Han constantly slip away from them, do something this way, sometimes just by, like, the skin of his teeth is always that kind of action hero spy kind of thing I want to see. Mm -hmm. So while it didn't have 
the word I'm looking for. Well, like, like the big absolute huge moment was the one Dan mentioned for his favorite scene where like they were with attractive beams and heading towards the planet's surface. It didn't have the same like kind of, oh my gosh, like they could actually mess this up kind of feel to it. Because like, yeah, everything was failing. They were hitting buttons. But like Han and Chewie know their ship. Mm-hmm. So it's just like we know exactly what we need to fix to get this thing back in the air. So it's like I never had a doubt that they'd find the thing. Yeah. But like there was that one small moment where you're just like, oh, what if the Falcon just chooses to give this one? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Just kind of land and be like, hey, That's that doesn't go there. Yeah, I love yeah. that part. And especially because now I guess you could call her L3 almost. Yeah, the, <laughs> be like, um, what are you doing multiple... to my insides? Yeah, the Falcon's <laughs> multiple personalities. Yeah. Yeah, my, I'm, like, it, it's it's a really harrowing scene, and it's like, oh, this is really cool, but in your head, you're like, oh, no, will the main character escape? Yeah. <laughs> Dude, in next time to... on Dragon Ball Z. Yeah. Basically, but... man, like, it, it was hard to detach and be like, yeah, he's an actual danger. Yeah. If you're not, you're fine. Well, it's, it's, like that, it's like that famous, uh, like Dan was just saying, it's like that famous Dragon Ball Z thing, where <laughs> I, I'll always remember it, where it goes... Will Goku defeat Frieza? Will he be able to escape Namek in time? Find out next episode on on uh, Free- Frieza defeated. Yeah, exactly. Dragon Ball Z episode sixty four. Yeah, Frieza right? like, gets cut in half and dies yeah. a horrible death. Thanks, Toei. Thank you. Yeah, just like to maybe don't maybe don't name your episode that if you're planning to lead up with you know uh, Frieza defeated. Is exactly. The name of the- or it's like the next episode uh, preview. It's like you see Frieza explode. Yeah. <laughs> well, I wonder what happened. Yeah. Oh, oh boy, what a mystery. <laughs> All right. Any last thoughts for our ratings, or are we good? Did you give? Uh, you gave. Yeah, your, uh, right? yeah, I gave mine. Okay. Seven, six point five, and seven point five. Yeah, I think we're well, all good. I, I'm actually really happy that a lot of these books were really close to each other. The only one that's the exception is Lost Stars. <laughs> where Noma's a four. No, yeah. Uh, I told you that ending. That ending was just. I, ugh. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I, know. I have to go down with the ship. Leave. No, oh, it's funny. Oh yeah, exactly. Like that, and like, I should. I should. Empire will do well. Yeah, You're I should. Yeah, exactly. I should defect during the Battle of Endor, but I just won't. Because we need to have this take part with the, the Force Awakens, and I was like, oh, fuck my life. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So our next novel is The Weapon of a Jedi. The author is Jason Fry, and the cover artist is Phil Noto. Uh, the cover itself is, it's, you know, it's like the other ones. Uh, it's got a mostly gray tone cover with some nice red highlights. Uh, specifically, there is a red sun behind the assembled characters, which are Luke 3PO, R2-D2, and old temple ruins and a jungle uh and in front of the sun is a y-wing that it has some nice red accents that kind of you know make a contrast a bit although i will say that the contrast in this one is um a lot more centralized than the other novels it's yeah. it's all right at the top as opposed to kind of spread out all over i do like how the sun in the background or the moon or whatever it is in the background is the what is red for the most part Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, you're right. It is near the top mostly, apart from R2D2's little light. Oh yeah, I didn't even notice that. Right. And, and what looks like 3PO's wires for some reason. Oh yeah, his little yeah, like, I see what his you mean. waist wires. Yeah. 
Yeah. Nothing will make a Y-Wing look good, though. That still looks <laughs> I, I like the actual gray Y-Wing with the red accent. Mm-hmm. It looks better than the yellow. But yeah. anyway. Yeah, I mean, that, yeah, I don't know. If The only Y-Wings that I like are the, the Clone Wars ones. Um, anyways, that aside, let's begin. Opening Crawl. The Rebel Alliance has destroyed the Empire's dreaded Death Star, but the galaxy remains convulsed by civil war, and the Imperial Starfleet is hunting the Rebels throughout the galaxy. Luke Skywalker, the pilot who destroyed the Death Star, is now hailed as a hero, but Luke seeks only to support the Freedom Fighters, serving the Rebellion behind the controls of his X-Wing fighter. Even as he flies alongside the pilots of Red Squadron, Luke feels stirrings in the mystical energy field known as the Force, and this farm boy turned fighter pilot begins to suspect that his destiny lies along a different path. The story begins with A-Wing pilot Jessica Pava of the New Republic, whose call sign is Blue 3. Jessica is assigned to droid duty with C-3PO, and after a short talk, the droid mentions his friendship with Luke Skywalker. Jessica asks if 3PO has any interesting stories about Luke, and the droid offers to tell the story of the first time Luke used a lightsaber. Jessica agrees, and C-3PO begins his story. Luke's story begins as he, R2-D2, and C-3PO are assigned a mission by the Rebel Alliance. His orders are to retrieve intercepted Imperial intelligence from contacts on behalf of the Rebellion. During his first stop on Deveron, Luke feels the Force calling to him, and experiences a vision showing a stone structure, training remotes, and a mysterious individual holding a lightsaber near a lake. Shortly after, Luke runs afoul of an Imperial patrol and is forced to return to Deveron for repairs. He meets a pair of Deveronians, a mechanic named Kivas, and his daughter Farnay. While he waits for repairs, Luke learns that an old Jedi temple exists on Deveron, and decides to investigate his vision and see what it was trying to tell him. He eventually meets a guide-slash-scavenger named Sarko Plank, and the two head off into Deveron's jungles to find the Jedi temple. Eventually, Sarko guides Luke and the droids to the temple. But Luke discovers that the Empire have put up perimeter alarms to keep anyone from entering. Using his vision of the lake, Luke manages to find a secret entrance to the tunnel, and he, R2, and C-3PO enter the temple while Sarko agrees to wait for them. Inside the temple, Luke finds that the interior has been desecrated by Imperial forces, destroying much of the knowledge inside. However, he is able to find a small training room with three training probe droids, who react to his lightsaber and begin to perform an exercise. Luke attempts to train with the droids, but cannot fully connect with the Force and fails repeatedly, though he does last over an hour in one instance. After reflecting on his visions and training, and sleeping in the temple for the night, Luke attempts to train again and is able to channel the Force properly. With this, 
he manages to fight all three droids for three hours. However, Luke's elation at completing the exercise is ruined when Imperial forces enter the temple. Having interrogated the mechanic Kivas and taking his daughter Farnay hostage as a guide, the Imperials attempt to arrest Luke. However, Sarko enters the temple and defeats the Imperials with Luke's help. Sarko then turns on Luke, explaining that he has been looking for a way to enter and plunder the temple for years, which he can now do after killing the remaining people who know how to enter the temple. Luke duels Sarko and manages to gain the upper hand. However, Sarko blinds Luke with a flash grenade and attempts to finish him off. Farnay is able to distract Sarko, and while he is distracted, Luke is able to use his new force training to sense Sarko and is able to cripple the scavenger before throwing him into a lower chamber. Luke, Farnay, R2, and 3PO make their way out of the temple, and the story reverts back to the present. Jessica marvels at 3PO's tale and asks the droid what happened to Farnay. 3PO remarks that he encountered her when the group returned to Deveron, and states she became a remarkable young woman. However, his tale is interrupted as Jessica is called away for a new mission. Jessica makes 3PO promise to tell her that tale when she returns, and departs for her new orders. Alright, and that is The Weapon of a Jedi. So, what did you guys think about our last short story? Um... Just a couple things from me. Mm-hmm. I kind of feel bad for R2 sometimes, only because Luke constantly goes into these, these like Jedi trances. And where he does he thinks it's like five minutes, it's like nine hours, ten hours. Yeah. All, yeah. And then and poor R2's there the entire time, like, is he alive? Is he alright? <laughs> when he's just like, Yeah, um, your life support's failing, so I'm just gonna you good? It's cold yeah. in there. Are you good? Like for nine hours, this poor droid just drifting, and just like yeah, we're in. And it's not like it's like a few hours into the trip or anything like that. It's like all right, we just hit hyperspace. I'm gonna do this thing. Oh, okay. I just wanted to talk to you about some rebel stuff, but sure. Yeah. <laughs> Luke's just training away. It's like, not like I'm not just trapped in the back of the X-Wing, exposed to the void. And all for, like, two seconds of information that you can't piece together that's frustratingly right there. Mm-hmm. How about the so, Y-Wing? Well, when he complains about it is the best, man. Yeah. And it's just like, <laughs> oh, this feels nothing like my show. Like, it's so clunky. And, it's all, and I only laugh so hard is because that's the same thing we're always saying when we play Battlefront 2. Yep, We're the Y wings are terribly slow. It's like, oh, this sucks. Like, you know, they're crazy strong. They have a great hull, but it's just like, like you need to maneuver. There's a, there's a weekly you... mission I need to do for bombers, and I have to use a <laughs> Y wing. I'm gonna wait until I get a Tie bomber. Because <laughs> <laughs> these Tie bombers look cool. Yeah, like the the first part of the book was was very slow. Like I remember at one point I was starting to tune out when it's just like. Maybe we can find a way around the temple. And I was like, yeah, I'm pretty sure that they already said you can't get in. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And then they actually do find the way. And I was like, oh, oh, eh." I mean, he's not going to find anything. And then he goes through all the stuff and actually starts the the training. And when he actually started doing the training in the temple, I was like, oh, this is it was kind of cool. Yeah, where he's training for hours and hours. And he's like, how long was that? Yeah, when he when he says that and you're like three hours and I was like, oh. Wow, three hours already, and Luke's like, "Oh, three hours," and he's like sweating buckets, yeah. and he didn't realize until he stopped. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Right, then you have C-3PO, like the, the overly happy girlfriend, being like, oh, you did so well. Clap, clap, oh, yeah. clap. He gets hit in the back of the leg. It's like, yeah. that droid's disgusting. It's just before it's oh, yeah. okay, dude, calm down. Yeah. I, I love Even, that. Yeah, right? Even looks like it's okay, 3PO. Yeah. <laughs> Those horrible yeah. little droids shouldn't do that. And I'm like, <laughs> I, I never I never thought about it like like uh, um, was like overcaring girlfriend. But yeah, as soon yeah, as you exactly said that, what it's he just is. like, it's like perfect. Oh yeah, <laughs> I mean, think not not overly caring, but what would you call that? Like, overly what did you say? Concerned. Overly concerned. Well, for, there we go. Yeah. Over, yeah, overly concerned. I think the one thing that we all can agree on, I hope, is the scavenger and how kind of interesting he is. Right. Oh yeah. Like I don't know about you guys, but when I when I was hearing about him, all I could picture was Zeb. Yeah, actually, there's an image of him. Uh, I'm gonna pull it up here so you guys can take a look at it. Give me. Yeah, one the image was not what I was expecting. Yeah, it sounded really cool where it's like he has no eyes. He's only got armor plates and these like little feelers coming out of them. I was like, oh, wow, okay. That's different. I was really – and then I, I, I love how, how confident he was the entire time. Mm. Just, man, nobody's Padawan. And I was like, oh, man, that's a good name. <laughs> so there he is. He's like some sort of weird like – he's got like a uh, – I want to say chithin, but I can't remember if that's the term you use Titan? for like – Yeah, chitinous. Yeah. Chitinous like – face he's got two eyes on the side of his head he's got tubes like two tubes from uh rogue one sarlon or sorry yeah two tubes Sarlon. Oh boy <laughs> sarlon um do you guys remember have you ever played mass effect 2 oh yeah no or any of the mass effect i played mass effect 1 a bit yeah do you remember the Corians? oh of course i do <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah i see guy. where you're going yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you see it right Except you can't cough on him and he dies. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of convenient. <laughs> yeah, seriously. But I thought he was um, an inter yeah. interesting looking yeah. character. Um, Noma, you found something very interesting on the web while you were looking this stuff up for this book. Yeah, and I'm really annoyed that it's gone because, um, yeah, I told Dan about this, but I don't, I'm not sure if you know about this. There's an animated webcomic of this. Like an official what? animated yeah. webcomic of the entire book put out by by of all people i think it was was it nestle or something nestle yeah like yes. what yeah yeah and it's defunct now it, it, it they took it down in like 2016 because why i'm not too sure but yeah like i, I was trying to because i saw it because when i saw sarko or his name's sarko plunk i think um the bounty hunter when i saw him i was like i was looking up stuff because i was just like oh i just I, I need some notes for for the synopses um and then I found him, and I was like, "Oh, cool! They have a picture." And then I went down, and they went, and I went, "Why are there pictures that look like they're from a comic?" Yeah. And then at the yeah, and then when you look up where it came from, there's a Weapon of the Jedi series of uh, motion comics. I actually just found the motion comic. Oh yeah. Yeah, I found it. So we should definitely watch this. Oh it's, yeah. 100%. It's clips though. It's not. Uh, I don't know if it's the full thing. It's just some clips of it. But okay. Yeah, definitely. We need to try and see. If we can kind of see the similarities from the book and whatnot, and maybe some artistic choices they make, but they use a lot of the same artwork from what the artist used on the cover in the back. So mm. yeah, it's a very interesting idea to make a motion comic for for a book, and to partner with Nestle out of all people. Yeah, like, how yeah, does that make now sense? I'm, now I'm just really hungry. Right? <laughs> I want I want a Crunch Bar now. Uh, yeah, Nesquik cereal, dude. Oh. Um, I'm with the Crunch Bar. Crunch oh, Bars man. are so good. I love those things. Um, yeah, it also helps show what uh, what Farnay and uh, Kivas look like. Yes, exactly. Um, I, I, 
I had a hard time figuring out who Farnay, like, what she looked like. Yeah, I keep forgetting female Deveronians are a thing, and they just don't have horns. Yeah, right. it's so weird. They just have, you like, dots on their head. Kinda like, looks like. Yeah. yeah. But all I see is, like, Sith pureblood when I think of them. Yeah, except without the, yeah, like, the little yeah, yeah. tendrils coming from their face. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, is there anything specific about the book that we thought, you know, kudos, like, really well done? The whole end part, I was actually, I, I loved the entire end part so much that until we started doing the synopsis and the discussion, I forgot the first half of the book exists. Right? Oh my <laughs> yeah, God. exactly. Oh, wow. And, and if the whole thing had been just that, like if they'd gone to the temple faster and done more training, I, I think this book would have been my favorite out of the three. But I think it was nice uh, that it also allowed Luke to train, like legitimately, mm-hmm. with like Jedi um, training droids, because those are mm-hmm. from an old, old temple, right? Yeah. yeah. So... And the the thing I found kind of funny is that in the span of what like two days, um, with just self reflection, he manages to learn more than he did in all of Heir to the Jedi. Because in Heir to the Jedi, it's like I figured out how to wiggle a noodle. But that that takes place before this book. Oh yeah, it okay, does. That yeah, because yeah, well that takes after. place right after Episode Four. Yeah, this one takes place a little bit later because he's starting to use. Like getting in with the flow with the force because he had a hard time connecting. But I get you. A shorter book gives him more training. What? Yeah. How does that yeah, make he's sense? Got, well, he's, got, he's got force get, sense pretty much down by then. Yeah. Or by yeah. the end of the book. Again, it's because that whole like, remember you got to make it for the kids. Like all these kids shows and everything like that. There's always that like insane power boost for the hero to not get bested by the hunter who's been doing this for years yeah who can also fight so it's just like oh in order to make him credible we gotta we gotta hit him with the power up a little quickly mm-hmm. that's true although i did also like how at the end he actually didn't kill the bounty hunter or the scavenger oh, oh it's luke he was never going to yeah that's true i was just like oh what a bad ass bag or something <laughs> but like nah yeah. yeah oh i cut your weapon in half so now you can't fight luke logic I really did enjoy yeah. the scavenger fight versus Luke. Mm-hmm. That was pretty cool. And he had the electro staff from the Magna Guards, from Grievous' yeah, guards. Yeah. That was another Grievous good touch. Stuff. But then when he blinded him for a bit, and he was like stumbling around, that was when you actually had that, oh man, Luke might still lose. And he's taunting him, calling him like, he's basically using the Vader sleep speaker. And it's like, mm-hmm. you're not a Jedi yet. Yeah, yeah, nobody's part of one. It's like, ah, he's right. <laughs> Yeah, no, that part was great. Are we ready to get into our ratings for The Weapon of a Jedi? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So. All right. Uh, Dan, Let's... you want to start us off? Sure. Um, Weapon of a Jedi, I I have to say, I think this is the... What did I listen to first? I listened to Leia, then this, then Han Solo. Um, and I, I got to say, I think I like them in that order as well. And from my ratings I have here, I gave it a... Um, just because it was a good story a lot happened just like in the Han Solo and Chewbacca adventure one and it made you really care about the characters in there and you were really wondering like what's the scavenger's motive right what's you know the other like I can't remember the other character's name I'm sorry um, the little girl yeah like the girl Farnay Farnay like what like what is going to happen with all these characters because they're extra characters that we've never heard of before so are they all going to die are they mm-hmm. going to help luke learn more about the force like what's going to happen right 
and uh, I just I found that the temple and the 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 training and the fighting and it was just all very well done. And again, kudos to Jonathan Davis who did the audiobook narration for this one. You don't get him very often in Star Wars books anymore, mostly Mark Thompson. But every now and again, you do get some other um, voice actors to be able to narrate stuff. And it was nice to have a little bit of a new, refreshed kind of voice for Luke. Um, although Mark Thompson does a good job as well. Um, but yeah, a solid six because it was an interesting story. And just like Noma said for the Han Solo one, I wish it was longer in the temple. Like if we had more time in the temple or more time on the planet of Deveron, that'd be cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sounds about right. Ed, what do you think? Seems like I'm the most generous one here today, because I'm giving this one a seven. Oh. Um, no, it's for me. It's a seven. Just again, like Solo captured a lot of what I wanted to see and what I wanted to hear. Somehow give justification to how we already know Luke is powerful. It's just a matter of like directing that knowledge into something constructive. And the temple training was something really nice to see because especially with the training orbs that flew around, it's a good throwback to when he was practicing on the ship with Ben and he's hearing all these things that Ben said initially yeah. to like, help him out to do it. And the funny thing was, after, before, like listening to this part and then going to try out Vader Immortal, with that basically is what goes on for a good section that you have the floating orbs going around. And then I just thought of this scene as well. And I was just like, ha, I am doing a Luke. That's awesome. I'm glad, I'm glad you kind of <laughs> nice. make that connection with the VR game. It actually gives you like the insight of like what Luke went through. Yeah. It, it's like, like these things are floating around and you kind of, because you have like stereo headsets, you hear them floating around. You kind of know where they are. So like you're, you're constantly turning and moving. And for him to be doing that for three hours, like, yeah, yeah. Was right. I was gonna ask you. Yeah, did you feel like you did it for three hours when you're in there for like nine minutes? <laughs> no, no. You you feel like you can continue, but you get tired. Yeah, I've never you, played a you, VR you game yet. Tired. That's the one thing. Like, I've never really played a game that gives you a lot of uh, physical movement. Like, I think the most games I've played with that is a Wii game, like maybe Wii Bowling or something. <laughs> um, but I'm excited to try that out and see kind of how. How you feel after, you know, like a little bit of the arena or something in, in Invader Immortal or something, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. You know better than than the rest of us how that feels. <laughs> <laughs> but it, yeah, it, it's definitely it's definitely something impressive from him. And that's just the start of all the things we know he can do. So it's one thing to be the pilot and then he's learning to become the fighter here. Like it's it's good to see some of this backstory rather than just the hero moment number one and hero yeah. moment number seven it's just mm-hmm. like no this is just him training. regularly trying to do his best trying to train like can you imagine what he's going to teach his students eventually ah no but not not wink wink <laughs> so remember when you want to kill your own padawans you hit them from <laughs> behind while they're asleep <laughs> Yeah, makes sense. Um, I'm with uh, Dan as well. I, I'm giving it a six. Um, and it, yeah, mostly it is because that first beginning part, I mean, you need, it's important to set up what's happening and everything that's going on in the track and all that, but it was just so long and it, there was just so much kind of nothing that was happening. Um, offset by the fact that it was so awesome at the end. But 
Yeah, it it was just it was just good overall. Um, yeah, definitely. I liked Farnay as a character. I thought she was interesting. I thought Sarko Plunk was awesome as a character. Um, all the stuff in the temple was actually kind of interesting, except I kind of wish she'd explored it more. I know they say it's in ruins, but like maybe go and find it. They had a council chamber. Maybe if the, he, he says at one point, the vault doesn't have anything useful for someone like you. And I was like, but you haven't checked. So how would what you know? Were, yeah. Yeah. What if there were more lightsabers or some holocrons or something, right? The fact that they just skim over all of that was a little bit uh, jarring to me. Um, but still, overall, it's a, it's a fun book, and I had a good time with it. So, uh, yeah, I think a six. Nice. Mm-hmm. All right, time to move into Chewbacca. Oh, yeah. There you go. <laughs> nice. You said it, Chewy. This is Chewbacca, Volume 1, written by Jerry Duggan, penciler Phil Noto, and the cover artist is Phil Noto and Ariel Olivetti. The cover itself has Chewbacca kind of in the mid-ground, with a, in front of him there is a kind of rustic Star Wars city with a new character that we'll be talking about, uh, Zaro, in the foreground. It's kind of got a nice uh, red gradient that goes up into the blue, which is the far background behind Chewbacca. Some really nice contrasting tones and uh, a lot of stark red-whites to kind of show that there's going to be some a little bit of danger in this comic. Yeah, I really like the cover of this. The, the art style is really interesting. It actually is apparently the same artist that did the novels that we covered um, in the previous uh, three synopsis of this episode, Phil Noto. So mm-hmm. the art style does have that same kind of art from from phil right it just has his style in there um the one thing i really did like is a city it looks like that's kind of on the bottom part of the cover is red and it's kind of glowing up making chewbacca look even a little bit more fierce than normal so i don't know it was a really cool cover all right and with that let's get into the opening crawl It is a proud, renewed hope for the Rebellion. The evil Galactic Empire's greatest weapon, the Death Star, has been destroyed by Chewbacca, warrior son of the planet Kashyyyk, with some help from his trusty sidekick, Han, and his friends, Luke and Leia. But Chewie is not one to grandstand. There is so much to accomplish. The Battle of Yavin reverberates through the galaxy as our Wookiee hero embarks on a very important and personal secret mission. Unfortunately for Chewbacca, His loner spacecraft proves to be what they refer to in the Outer Rim as a hunk of junk. Issue number one. On a planet named Andelm 4 in the Outer Rim, the alien crime lord Jaum and his Shistavanin enforcer and bodyguard Tyvak visit a human debtor named Arax and his daughter Zaro. 
With Erex unable to pay a loan, Jom forces the family to become slaves, working off the debt in the Andalm Beetle Caverns, where they are forced to harvest the beetle's larva, whose chemicals are necessary for blaster gases. Unwilling to let his daughter suffer, Erex manages to smuggle Zaro out by concealing her in an mining cart. He tells her not to return to their home or to the caverns. As she leaves the mine, Joms and Forces discover she is missing, but Zaro manages to escape on a speeder bike. Meanwhile, Chewbacca rests on a bed of flowers after crash-landing his RZ-1 A-Wing on Andelm. However, he soon discovers, to his anger, that the A-Wing's engines have failed. As Chewie tries to repair the ship, Zaro, who is at a nearby city, goes to a government official for help, but is told that Jom has bribed the ruling council. She attempts to sell her stolen speeder to a Basilisk junk dealer. However, the Basilisk is in Jom's employ and confisc confiscates the speeder, stating that it belongs to the crime lord. The Basilisk and another henchman then try to capture Zaro, and she is forced to flee, empty-handed. Later, Chewbacca tries to buy a, a flight stabilizer from the same Basilisk, who demands a hundred credits for it. Lacking the funds, Chewie decides his best bet is to go to a casino. Chewie plays a game of sabak and is able to win enough credits for his part and a meal. At the same time, Zaro enters the casino to hide. In a moment of kindness, Chewie motions for her to hide behind the, his table. Jom's enforcer, Tyvak, and several other thugs enter the casino searching for the girl. Tyvak sees Chewie but ignores him, seemingly wary of the Wookiee. And after he leaves, Chewie lets Zaro share his meal. With his winnings, Chewie is able to buy the flight stabilizer. Zaro follows Chewie and tells him about her father Eric's gambling debts. She tells Chewie that her father and the other miners are in danger and that they need help from someone intimidating, like him. Chewie roars in approval and gives her a piggyback ride. Zaro tries to steer the Wookiee to the Beetle Cavern, but Chewie returns to his damaged A-Wing. Though she can't speak Shriwook, Zaro tries to get Chewie's promise to help her before he leaves. While watching Chewie repair his ship, Zaro tells him that her mother left Andelm 4 on a starship when she was little. After pleading with Chewie, Zaro manages to convince him to help after telling the Wookiee that she and her father were enslaved by Jom. This resonates with Chewbacca, who remembers his life as a slave at the mercy of the Empire. Chewie raises his bowcaster and agrees to help. Meanwhile, Jom and Tyvak travel to a secret rendezvous with an Imperial officer. The Crime Lord reveals he is trying to sell high-quality Deadlinite to the Empire and gives the officer a sample. After taking it, the officer asks Jom if he is capable of delivering it in bulk quantities. Jom replies that he has a team that is ready to work itself to death for the Empire. Issue number two. The next day, Zara and Chewbacca approach Jom's mine. Chewie scouts the perimeter, but Zaro shows him the air vents. She wants to sneak down with a rope so that the indentured miners can all escape without risking a fight. However, the Andown beetle larva could collapse the air shafts, so they need to find a stable one. Chewie complains about getting stuck, but Zaro tells her the plan is to allow herself to be found by Jom so that she can return to the mine and find a, a suitable vent to tunnel through. To keep in contact, Zaro borrows Chewbacca's comlink, which is fitted with a homing beacon. Zaro is captured by Jom's guards. As punishment, he orders that her shifts be doubled and her rations halved. She finds her father, Eryx, and fellow miners, 
and tells them that she has a plan to escape. Zoro uses a shovel to begin digging through a hollowed-out section of the mine. At the same time, Chewie follows her movements with a second transmitter. While tunneling through the air vent, Chewie remembers he and his people's enslavement at the hands of Trandoshan slavers. Chewie's thoughts are interrupted when he hears that Zoro's plan has been discovered by Jom's men. Arx pleads for his daughter's life, but Jom is unmoved. He tells the miners that their deal is ending, as the crime lord has sold the, the entire Biolarva operation, including his slaves, to the Galactic Empire. The Empire is interested in Andam's beetles for the chemicals, which are used in manufacturing of blasters, and he intends to replace his slave miners with droids, as they are cheaper. When one of the miners tries to attack Jom with a shovel, Jom shoots him with a blaster pistol. Sensing labor problems in the future, the crime lord orders his guards to execute the miners and leaves. Before the guards can comply, Chewbacca appears just in time and overpowers them. After introducing her Wookiee friend to her father and the others, Arix tells the miners they will have to fight their way out. Using a gonk droid, Chewie is able to fashion an improvised stun rod and uses it to disable a wheeled battle droid. Meanwhile, Jom learns about the miners' hairy demon from one of his guards. However, Jom executes the guard, lamenting he shouldn't have hired men with spice addictions. After finishing off the battle droid, Chewie is confronted by another guard who mocks him for not having a blaster. However, the Wookiee quickly knocks him out with the gonk droid. Arix, Zaro, and Chewie manage to find a loading bay with a ship. However, upon entering the loading bay, the Wookiee discovers that Jom has fled, but left the crates of Andown Beetle Larva. Outside, Tyvax fires a blaster bolt at the crates, striking the volatile larva and causing the bay to explode. Jom mourns the loss of so much product, but Tyvex quotes an old saying about Wookiees, Never let a Wookiee live. They bring ill fortune. Kill them whenever you can. <coughs> Issue number three. Jom and his Shastavan and bodyguard Tyvek ride off the mine and the Andelm beetle caverns as a loss. However, Jom ensures his enforcer that once the Empire accepts his plan, he will have access to slave labor and droids. Tyvak plans to transform the nearby forest into the most profitable prison in the Empire. Though when he expresses concern that the Empire could just overthrow them, Jom counters with his own concern that the Wookiee somehow survived the mind blast. Meanwhile, Chewie overturns a massive pile of rubble to reveal that he and Zaro are alive. As the Wookiee searches for a way out, Zaro discovers, to her relief, that the father and the other miners have also survived the explosion. After embracing, Arix tells his daughter that she shouldn't have come back. In response, Zaro tells him and Chewie that they have to find an escape route. Arix is worried because now that the power grid is down, the Andown beetles are free to return to the caverns. Zaro tells Chewie that the larvae turn into poisonous beetles and they need to escape quickly. The three soon encounter a swarm of Andown beetles, but Chewie uses his bowcaster to shoot down a support girder, causing the cavern to collapse. However, it seems that Chewie's actions destroys the miners' only way out, though Zaro reassures them this is not the case. The miners are able to meet up to discuss finding a way out of the mine. One suggests digging their way out, but another warns that doing so would cause the forest to collapse above them. And Aqualish adds that it is only a matter of time before the beetles catch up with them. In the end, they reluctantly settle for Chewie's plan, a vertical climb out of the mine through a sinkhole. With much difficulty, 
Chewbacca manages to climb through an air vent to reach a hole beneath the roots of a large tree. Using his strength, the Wookiee manages to topple the tree, creating a pit large enough for Arix, Zaro, and the other miners to climb out. After thanking Chewie, Arix tells his daughter that they have to flee off-world before the Empire arrives. However, Zaro doesn't want to leave her home and become a refugee. She points out that if they don't stop Jom, they will lose everything, including the planet's forests. Arix tells his daughter that he doesn't want to lose her to the Rebellion, but she states that she is only interested with keeping the Empire off of Andam 4. When her father suggests that Zaro could help treat the wounded, she points out that he has plenty of help. Unwilling to live under Jom's oppression, Zaro plans to fight back, but tells her father that she will help the Wookiee repair his ship. Zaro reluctantly supports his daughter and chose, tells Chewbacca that she is all that he's got and to stay away from the spaceport, which Zaro promises to. In secret, Zaro and the Wookiee travel to the spaceport. She finds the droid I-7, who serves as the eyes for his master, Sevox. Zaro convinces her old friend, Sevox, who lives in a secret bunker, to let her and Chewie borrow some gear for a special project. The two find an old R5 droid, which Chewbacca plans to use against Jom. Meanwhile, at a nightclub, Jom's guards bring in one of the former workers who was caught skulking outside. After learning from the worker that the miners had escaped with the help of the Wookiee, Zaro burns the human's face with the tube linked to his life support helmet. Jom then orders Tyvek to assemble his men in the hangar and to redirect the comma ray in order to make a deep space transmission. In space, the Imperial Commander Kai receives Jom's call to his Imperial Star Destroyer. Kai informs him that the samples Jom have sent are still undergoing testing. To deal with the escaped miners and the Wookiee, Jom asks Kai to send stormtroopers to quell the rebels. Jom tells the commander to consider it a down payment. Kai accepts this, but asks if his city streets are wide enough to accommodate ATST walkers. <laughs> Issue number four. Zaro, Chewbacca, Sevox, and the protocol droid I-7 travel on a landspeeder to the Andam 4 spaceport. Sevox soon learns from a contact that a Star Destroyer has entered the system. Sevox thinks that Chewie's plan to use an R-5 droid crammed with explosives will not work, but Zaro insists it will. Before dropping Zaro and Chewie off, Sevox tells the two they can use his bunker as a hideout, but tells them not to mention him if they are captured. Before leaving, Sevox tells Zaro that he would pay her for the head of an Imperial RA-7 protocol droid, whose optics are amazing. He also tells her not to let the Imperials think that she is a rebel. Chewie and Zaro enter the spaceport disguised as a war droid and tiny alien. Despite Zaro's hope that they can find Jom before the Empire arrives, they discover that the spaceport has been locked down by several stormtroopers. Together with their rigged R-5, Zaro and Chewie manage to gain entry by stating that Zaro is Jom's latest guard droid. Entering the hangar, they find Jom supervising stormtroopers who are loading crates of Andalm larvae into an Imperial landing craft, which is guarded by an ATST walker. Jom demands to know who they are, and Zaro claims that they were told to guard the shipment and states that he should not be there. She then states that her droid will finish the loading. Suspicious, Jom orders her to remove her helmet. Chewie opens fire on the stormtroopers and Jom with his blasters. As he does, Zaro sends the rigged repair droid, Boomer, aboard the shuttle. Running out of rounds, Chewbacca fights the stormtroopers in hand-to-hand -hand combat. At the same time, Boomer is knocked out by a stray blaster bolt. While Jom boards the Imperial shuttle, 
His bodyguard, Tyvek, decides to attack Chewbacca with a metal staff. Trapped between the ATSD walker and Tyvek, Chewie activates a nearby engine, which burns the bodyguard alive and damages the ATSD's laser cannon, causing it to crash down to the floor. While an enraged Jom shoots at Chewbacca, Zaro, Zaro sneaks the repair droid aboard the Imperial landing craft. Believing he has won, Jom's shuttle takes off for the Star Destroyer in orbit. Zaro and Chewbacca celebrate planting the repair droid aboard the shuttle. However, their relation is short-lived when the two are arrested by Imperial reinforcements. Zaro tries to fool the Imperials by claiming Jom is a spice addict, but Commander Kai orders their arrest and transport for interrogation. Issue number five. Commander Kai and an RA-7 protocol droid wait aboard his Imperial Star Destroyer for an Imperial shuttle carrying Zaro and Chewbacca that the stormtroopers have captured. The RA-7 droid is on duty to translate for the Wookiee, but is perturbed that the troopers have ceased communication. Kai thinks that the Star Destroyer's superstructure is interfering with the antenna. However, a stormtrooper helmet rolls out of the shuttle ramp, revealing that Chewie and Zaro have knocked out the stormtroopers. Upon exiting the shuttle, Chewie beheads and rips apart the RA-7 droid. With the fight over, Zaro addresses the Imperial commander and states that she is here to help the Empire. Zaro tells Kai that Jom is running a scam and that he is a rebel spy. She claims that Jom does not own an operation and his R5 repair droid, Boomer, is loaded with explosives. Jom soon arrives with two stormtroopers carrying boxes of sample. Zaro tells Jom that she has informed the Empire about the truth of his scam. Shortly after, the Imperial landing craft carrying the Andown beetle larva and Boomer detonates. The explosion damages the ship's force field. Chewie and Zaro take advantage of the chaos to flee on a TIE bomber. After some difficulty, they manage to free the ship. However, Zaro accidentally releases a bomb which damages the right wing of the TIE. Despite the bomber catching fire on re-entry, Zaro and the Wookiee still manage to crash-land the ship. The two walk back to Chewie's A-Wing, where Chewie plans to leave to complete his mission. Zaro is thankful to Chewbacca for saving her planet from Imperial conquest, but is sad he is leaving. She also notices that Chewie is transporting a box. Before leaving, the two embrace, and Chewie gives her his gold medallion that he received for his services during the Battle of Yavin. Aboard the Star Destroyer, Commander Kai has dismissed Jom's mining deal as a scam. As punishment for harming Imperial personnel and trying to dupe the Empire, Kai has Jom tortured by an ITO interrogator droid. With the ship's main hyperdrive damaged by the explosion, Kai tells him that it will be a long journey back to the nearest Imperial base and that the interrogator droid will be with him for a long time. Stealing Jom's landspeeder, Zaro returns to her family home and tells her dad that the Empire has taken care of Jom. When Oryx asks about her friend, she tells him that Chewie had to leave on an important mission. This mission turns out to be a family reunion back on the Wookiee homeworld of Kashyyyk. There, in the presence of his family, Chewie presents his child with a bandolier. Shortly later, Chewbacca is picked up by the Millennium Falcon. Chewie, is that you? And that's the end of Chewbacca Volume 1. Which is in yeah, it's an it's an interesting comic. Um, what are you guys' thoughts on it? Uh, yeah, interesting is the word I'd use as well. <laughs> um, I don't know. Some things irked me a bit, but for the most part, it was decent. Mm -hmm. <laughs> just the one part that I just, my face feel like it, it imploded. 
is when it was like, oh yeah, Commander Kai and RA7 protocol droid, wait aboard his Imperial Star Destroyer for an Imperial shuttle carrying. I was like, come on. Come on. <laughs> is he wearing his Imperial clothes with his Imperial like toothbrush too? Like, we get <laughs> it. Don't forget his Imperial uh, standard blaster. That yeah. Imperial gases in it. <laughs> <laughs> like, that was interesting. The thing about the the larvae from the way the book sounded was like as soon as they like hit the goal of the bottom they just transform into poisonous beetles yeah it's like, it's... oh no we're gonna get swarmed but it's like really wouldn't they have to like go through a whole like transformation thing yeah that was the weird thing where they're like oh yeah we mine the the larva and i was like mm, that's weird also yeah exactly like you said isn't it's not like it's not like they're they're you know, blocked off from the beetles, they'd pupate and then turn into the beetle. You'd have a constant problem of beetles just emerging, right? Yeah. All the time. Yeah. Which like one it, of them on this planet? <laughs> yeah, seriously. Um, the one thing I really did enjoy, I don't know if you guys noticed it, Noma, you might have, and Ed, you might have too, is I uh, just like looking back at the panels as you're, as you're reading the synopsis there, the, the focus of the images. So in like at least the first few chapters, first few issues there's parts where um zaro main character is walking around and as she's walking around you see like everyone else around her is blurred except for her or if she if she's looking at somebody and the camera's like right on her shoulder looking past her the person mm -hmm. in front of her is is in focus but her and the person beside her are, are like blurred a little bit so there is a really interesting, like I haven't seen that in the comics we've read so far of like different focus points and the different blur effects that you have. It's like almost like somebody's using a like film, like it's a camera, right? Yeah. Which yeah, I thought was so interesting. A, it, yeah, it's interesting. They're trying to give it more like a movie kind of feel to it. That, definitely. Um, and I, I enjoyed that part. It was just like, oh, okay, you want my attention to go here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, o overall, it's it's... It's just kind of like kind of like that novels we've been talking about as well, where it's like it's it's a nice comic. It's very enclosed. It, it doesn't have a huge impact on on the galaxy or anything like that. Um, but it's got a, it's got a fun kind of you know action adventure kind of story. They do some interesting stuff. Um, the only thing that was kind of strange to me was at the end. It's just they they try to do a thing. I guess kind of kind of like movie ish as well, where they try to do some. Um, visual storytelling so it's all just the panels and like there's no yeah no narrator no dialogue no nothing like that but it also made it really really confusing to me um like because it just he the the synopsis gives it more context but when you're reading the book when i was first reading it, it just kind of looks like chewbacca appears on it was clearly kashik and his whole family standing around this hologram but the hologram's so small i can't tell if that's a hologram of Chewbacca or another Wookiee. I was like, maybe it's Tarful. I don't understand like who this is supposed to be. Yeah, Tarful then... is the chief of like the Wookiees when in the episode three movie, right? When yeah, they, yeah. Or in the war the, with the uh, Yeah, Revenge of the Sith. He's he's the the leader of the the Wookiee attack. Yeah. Um, but it's it's very unclear who it is. Are they mourning Chewbacca? Are they waiting for him? Why is the hologram there? And he like walks up to a kid and gives him a bandolier. I'm thinking because, it might be the leader of the group just because it might be like a ceremony for his like for the small Wookiee to child, right? to get his bandolier and then Wookie, yeah, right, like, like Chewbacca comes in and gives him it. Like I don't know. 
Yeah, like the synopsis says it's his child, but I, I'm just taking that for granted. Like, I don't know if it actually is. I'm assuming it is. Why else would he give this random kid a, a bandolier? Yeah. But it's just, it, oh. that's, the, that's the only part. Oh, sorry, you were saying? No worries, but like, on the topic of giving people, like, yeah, you're going to give somebody the medal you won for saving the galaxy. <laughs> yeah, like exactly. Like, Lumperoo makes a comeback, guys. Yeah, right? Like, it, it's just, I don't know. It's very strange, and as much as I appreciate the artistic style, I think there should have been a little bit of... Context at the end? Yeah, some more context to kind of show yeah. what's happening. I, I think the one thing that I really did enjoy about this was the fact that they left Chewbacca to not have a translated uh, roar. Like, all of his roars and grunts and stuff like that were just roars and grunts. They weren't translated at all into... into Human like, speak. Yeah, basic. into Galactic Basic. Um, which is cool because a lot of the other comics that we've read so far, like when Jabba's talking or something, it has like Hatties in a speech bubble, and then below it, it tells you in English what it is, what he's saying. Um, so there's some alien languages that it does that already in the comics, but they chose to not do that with this one, um, which I thought was interesting, and it, it kind of keeps the mystique of Chewbacca, I guess. Just well, because the the way it works in the galaxy, right, is that not a lot of people can understand Shriwook, but, like, Hatties, like, slaves know it, and different people know it, and traders know it, and bounty hunters know it, mm. so that, in, so, so. you know, take jobs and stuff like that. So yeah, in terms so. of putting it in the book, like, they can get away with, like, you know, oh, this person knows Hatties, so here's the translation of what he's saying. But, like, so like maybe, let's say one out of every hundred people can speak Shriwook. Then they're just like, yeah, you, all of you on here don't know what I'm saying, mm-hmm. kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, and, and and it's a nice touch too because why would some you know, why would some random person girl, on a planet yeah. that doesn't yeah, know why would some on girl it? and her dad yeah exactly that's never seen a Wookiee know what they are exactly mm-hmm. and then, yeah so there's also Zaro Zaro's uh, kind of an interesting character it's, it's rare that you have like child protagonists in something like Star Wars. Um, so I'm kind of curious what you guys think of her, because for the most part in the beginning, I don't know, it, it, it seemed to me like she was just kind of there. Like she does a, a decent amount of like a decent amount of things, but it's kind of just her stumbling from point to point. Okay. Until she meets up with Chewie. Do you want um, to hear what I think? Now that you, yeah, just, sure. you said that I had like a child uh, protagonist. Mm-hmm. Think back, boys. When you're watching anime and you're hitting some oh, really no. awesome episodes mm-hmm. and then out of the blue, good example of this is One Piece, when you hit the A Piece arc or an arc that's a filler arc and the characters go to an island or a place and they have their first encounter with you know a kid who's in trouble and they're running mm-hmm. away because someone's trying to beat them up and then they save them and the whole arc is about helping the kid. Yeah. yeah. Ta-da. <laughs> if you don't know so what I'm talking she's... about, anime filler arcs are normally like nine times out of ten uh, kids as a protagonist that need help saving something or doing something to save their town or, or village or something. Mm-hmm. And then the main characters are kind of drawn into it and help the kid. So not that I'm <laughs> saying that this is themselves at the start of the whole anime. This is the mm-hmm. one piece filler of Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> and then the that rest is, is you're still watching the anime at the end yeah. this one filler kid may somehow in some big moment in the end be on screen for like two seconds like hey remember me 
<laughs> you won't forget me now. The one thing I gotta yeah. say though is the difference between the filler and this is that this is canon, so it's not filler. Oh, um, but it did. I actually enjoyed reading through it. Like Zara wasn't a like she wasn't a bad character by any means. Um, mm. It just wasn't like it's not like your Han Solo or Princess Leia or you know mm. what we're normally used to in these comics so far. Um, I think having having her as a character that Chewbacca kind of goes with and talks to and stuff. I think it was good because Chewbacca has a kid. Chewbacca was a slave. So he can definitely relate to her better than just some random slave like her father or something if, if he would have gotten out and, mm. and ran and trying to find somebody to help. But I don't know. I, I, I thought it was not too bad as far as like an offshoot kind of comic. But mm. I, I don't think I would read it again. Unless there was like some sort of other medium of Star Wars content that had Zaro in it, maybe to come back to it, or mm-hmm. you know the larvas again somewhere, or like something specific from this comic that was introduced. Yeah, it, it might be interesting to see Zaro come back for the sequel stuff. The, like, but yeah, no, you're, you you do have a point where it's it is very centric on on her, and it does almost feel like a filler. The one thing that actually that did impress me with her character wise was um at the end of the comic when she actually convinces the imperial commander that jom is a rebel and i was like oh yeah that was, yeah, was like, cool yeah i was like oh that's that's really smart like i didn't really think she had that in her um and then i guess re- rereading the synopsis it makes a bit more sense when sevox says like everyone in that book is saying you know don't be a rebel don't be a rebel don't ever be caught being a rebel the empire hates them yeah and so it's like oh okay she listen to what they were saying and actually you know applied it well yeah Yeah. and i was like oh that's that's pretty cool but uh any other thoughts about it uh well you kind of knew it was filler right from when the uh dead lanite came up (laughs) like did you did you honestly it could be a slip that they just honestly forgot that there was dead night everywhere Mm -hmm. but yeah, it's That's... like it's like dynamite, but it makes you deader. Like... <laughs> it's the deadest of deadlamite. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, you know, I I I'd say as far as like a, if if we're looking at filler stuff and comparing it to filler things, this is pretty good. Like it's not like I I wasn't drawn to read through the entire thing. I had to you know pause and, and read it again. Um, mm. but it was it wasn't to the point where I was just like I I don't like. I wasn't averse to reading this, you know? Um, mm-hmm. But there, mm-hmm. like I said, there are some things that I really enjoyed about it and the art really brought me in. I really did like the art and the effects they used for creating that blur effect and stuff and just trying to focus your attention on certain things. Um, mm. That alone really brought me in. The story itself, not so much. It was, it was all right. Um, but like, I think the one thing would have made this better is what Noma said earlier is at the end having some sort of um context of what's going on mm-hmm. because it's like where is this coming from like this has nothing to do with anything we just went over um and we don't know who any of these wookies are are they in chewbacca's house are they at like city hall are they you know like mm-hmm. where are they um so anyway yeah just something to to make it a bit clearer exactly uh all right anybody else have any final thoughts on chewbacca uh, I'm surprised all of us held it in where we didn't actually make a noise at this by this point. 
<laughs> you surprised what didn't make a noise? Just like, oh, like a Chewbacca. I can't make a Chewbacca sound. That was pretty good. I can't do it. Mine sounds like some sort of drowned gremlin or something. So with that synopsis and discussion, now we got to get into our ratings. What would you guys give it compared to, say, the other comics that we've had so far? Um, I guess I'll go first. I'm I'm giving it a rating of um, six point five. Oh. You read my mind. Really? <laughs> like to, wow. to the number. To the number. I was about to say six point five. Wow. Yeah, because because I was thinking about it, and it's like um, you know, it, it's de- it's I definitely like some of the other ones more. Like I like Lando, and I like uh, Star like Showdown on Smuggler's Moon, a bit more. But this had me a lot more. It kept my attention and it kept me interested um throughout the entire thing which leia didn't do um which is why because i gave that one a six and it's like this is kind of this is more interesting than leia just because of what's happening and leia keeps jumping around all over the place and introducing all these themes that just immediately disappear after they're done introducing them um so yeah 6.5 ed how are you yep right alongside with the 6.5 um Like, the two that I read right off the bat, like, I read them in the same day because they were so short. But it was the Smuggler's Run and Weapon of the Jedi. And okay. those two, I burnt through them because I was so interested right from there. Whereas, like... Also Leia audiobooks. Me... <laughs> also audiobooks. But <laughs> uh, Le- Leia's story took me a few days just because I was, like, listening to it here and there but it wasn't always the first priority i had like i didn't see it Mm. like that and then for this one like deadly chewbacca it was like hey i can i can flip through this kind of it'll keep me interested still took me a couple days but it didn't have that same pull as the other two did fair enough so 6.5 for you yep all right. I am the lowest one here. I honestly, as we were kind of just starting the rating segment, I'm like, four? And then you guys are saying like <laughs> 6.5. I'm like, let me think about this. Because like, I don't know. Like it, like you said, it didn't really give us anything more about the galaxy except for like a new planet, some new explosive larva, um, some beetles, some mm-hmm. uh, just like random things like that. And then maybe Lumperoo. Um, maybe, maybe Chief Tarful. <laughs> um, so I was thinking like four, but like the art really brings it up for me. I really enjoyed the art, so I'm actually saying a six. Um, I'm the lowest one here today, but uh, yeah, no, I think I think the art really brought me into the the the, the issues and kept me wanting to read a little bit more just to see the art because there were some really interesting designs for some of the characters. Um, like, I'm assuming that's a Bothan. Tyvak is it Tyvak? No, he's um. Oh, they mentioned it before. I can't remember what it was. Sh- Shastavanan, I think. Oh, Shastavanan. Okay. Sh- yeah, yeah. Shastavanan. Yeah. Shastavarian or something. Right, whatever. It looked like a Bothan to me, but um, he was a really cool looking character. He's like a blue ant, like dog, cat like person with like some long hair and like a beard, I guess. Mm. Um, I don't know. He looked pretty cool, and there's a lot of action and a lot of Wookie grunts, and Wookie grunts are pretty cool. So <laughs> six, six for me. Nice.
Welcome to the end of episode 7 of Temple Archives. For our next episode, we've got a couple different things that we're going to be trying out for you guys. Uh, so first off is we're going to be trying something new where we're condensing and having shorter synopses and uh, separate episodes for any of our novels and our comic volumes. So that means uh, that uh, we should have two episodes coming out for our next Temple Archives. The first one is going to be our novel section, and that's going to include the short story, In Brief, and the novel, Star Wars Battlefront, Twilight Company. Then we'll have a separate episode that will contain the comic, which will be Vader Down, Volume 1 which I'm sure we're all going to be looking forward to because it is one of the best Vader comics hands down. It's one of the best if... comic volumes of all like the new canon stuff. That is for sure. Oh, yeah. If for any reason uh, you guys, any of you listeners haven't seen Vader down yet, I would definitely recommend uh, taking a look at it before you listen to our next episode because it is definitely something where even doing a summary of it is not going to do it full justice. We're also going to be uh, trying to kind of stagger our releases so that we're bringing you more content uh, throughout the month. So what we'll be trying to do is we'll probably release the novel episode on one week and then the comic episode on the next week. And then we'll probably be trying to do something similar with our news show, but we'll go into that in the actual news show itself. If this seems interesting to you, if you kind of like this switch up of the format, if it doesn't really appeal to you, I mean, anything likes, dislikes, general thoughts, we'd love to hear from you. And uh, if you are interested in talking to us, you can reach us through our email, which is voiceoftheforce at gmail.com. Make sure to have the subject line uh, as Temple Archives 7. You can also talk to us through our Twitter, which is at voiceforcepod. I'm sure you've heard uh, this spiel many times before, but if you can like, share, retweet, all that kind of stuff, we'd super appreciate it. Uh, it helps with growing our listener base and our community and is, like I said, very much appreciated. And if you do that, make sure to use hashtag TA7. You can also contact us through our Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash voiceforcepod. If you want to talk to us uh, directly about this episode, then make sure to reply to our post about it. Otherwise, you know, direct message, anything like that to get a hold of us. It's all good. Um, Except and lastly, don't Don't send us your hatred in DMs, please. please. <laughs> if you're going to send hatred, send it to Noma it. or Ed. <laughs> I was going to say, I, I can take it. There you go. Um, yeah, other than that, listen, rating, and reviewing. I'm sure you guys have heard this before, but we are on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, Pocket Cast, and Podbean. Click the subscribe for the latest episode as soon as it releases. All right, and with that all being said, I think it's time to wrap it up. So, from all of us here at Temple Archives and Voice of the Forest Podcast, thank you for listening. And may the force be with you.
All right, are you guys ready to review the? Are we? <laughs> <laughs> are you guys ready? Yes, to... weapon of the Jedi. <laughs> no, no, I... <laughs> no. Are you guys ready to? Let me try this. Gotta shut up. <laughs> oh man, he can say it. It's, it's called scores. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just waiting for you guys to stop talking for a second. I got this. I got this. <laughs> <laughs>